Hello, it's me, Tracy Lee. Welcome back to Life or Something Like It. For those of you who have been sending me notes and uh, and giving me a little bit of uh, reviews, thank you so much for that. I appreciate the feedback and I'm really happy that you're taking the time to listen. This episode is a bit tougher for me. Um, this one's about my dad and what he did for me and, and what he meant to me. Um, a lot of emotions are coming back for me. But I really uh, feel a need to honor him and all the things that he he left with me. You know, I, I got my gift or, or curse of the gab from him. And so much of my personality and, and values came from him. It was almost eight years ago to the day that our front doorbell rang. It was late at night and uh, I opened the door to see the police standing there. And then it seemed like everything just went into slow motion. As they said to me, are you Tracy Prout? Is Roy Smith your father? And I somehow managed to peep out the word yes, feeling an absolute horrible pit in the bottom of my stomach. And then they said, we regret to inform you. And then it's just sort of like I blacked out. You know, I just ran to the, to the family room at the back of our house and I just crouched into the corner and I was just basically wailing like a wounded animal. And I think Sean was just sort of left to deal with the, you know, the official stuff with the police. And it's a memory I'll never forget, the way I felt, the helplessness, the feeling of complete loss. And the weeks and the months after were an experience like no other for me. I went through the typical stages of grief, you know, shock and denial, anger, bargaining, pain and guilt, depression, reflection, you know, a complete and utter sense of loneliness. And then finally, you know, working through all the pain, that upward turn of of kind of getting to a, a place of acceptance and then eventually hope. I sort of in the early days, I remember feeling every night when I would try to go to sleep, it sort of felt like I had a car engine sitting on my chest. You know, even though my dad had been quite sick most of his life with, you know, some, some autoimmune diseases that would have had most people completely immobilized and maybe not even leaving their home, he just never let them stop him from anything. He always kept his sense of humor and you know he sort of had that philosophy of don't complain don't explain now that's not to say he didn't rant and rave about a lot of things and you know it's clear i'm definitely my father's daughter because i do the same but you know he didn't complain about his physical ailments you know he had severe arthritis which kept his his neck immobilized his hands were gnarled right up to the point where they were almost closed He could barely turn his neck. But, you know, and he almost died when he was 52, I think, from severe Crohn's. And uh, so I feel very fortunate that we got to have him for basically 23 extra years after that. So I almost lost him when I was about uh, 22 or so. But really, his passing did still come out of nowhere to us. You know, he had seemed so full of life and his usual crazy, 
funny self the Christmas right before, you know, only a couple of months before. And, uh, you know, it was sort of like he was the healthiest he'd been. And then we went away to Mexico that February. And so we hadn't seen him since late January. He had been telling me on the phone that he was feeling a really, like, bad flu, bad cough, you know, which he usually would get every winter. And I remember him saying that he was worried he would end up in hospital again. And I remember telling Sean and the kids at the dinner table just a few days before he passed away that he just didn't sound right to me. And it turns out that, you know, he was very sick with cancer. And whether he knew or didn't know, it's a mystery to me. It's a bit odd because his his doctor had given him a clean bill of health just two weeks before his death so that he could go for cataract surgery. And I still shake my head and wonder what kind of a doctor he had. Because my dad passed away at home, there's the legal requirement for an autopsy. I have to say the chief coroner was one of the kindest women I'd ever spoken to. You know, as devastated as I was, and guilt-laden that my dad had left the world alone and I didn't get to say goodbye. She said to me, you know, I've done this for a long time. I've done this for over 35 years. And I'm guessing your dad would prefer that you remembered him as the vibrant person that he was rather than him spending a lot of time in hospital, having a lot of treatments, and for you to see him that way as he was at the end. You know, she was so gentle and kind and because she knew so much about dying, more than most of us did, she had a way of sort of making me feel less devastated. sad but funny that I used to get so frustrated with my dad because even when he was 75 years old he refused to write a will he wouldn't talk about his wishes he would just say you know he'd get really crotchety and he'd say I'm not gonna die only old people die and I would argue with him and say you're gonna die in that damn chair of yours and I won't have a key to your house and I won't know what to do and sure enough I was right for once It took a long time for me to get back to normal after I lost my dad. He raised me on his own since I was 13. My parents had split when I was very little. And then when I was about eight and my brother was five, my mom moved us across the country with, um, to, to go live with the man that she had been dating briefly. And it was, it was a bit of a shock for all of us. And my dad didn't even know that we were going. He just found out the hard way when he got back from a, a business trip and and you know they were separated but there was some talk of them getting back together so I think it was really tough for him to to find out that you know not only his wife but his two kids were gone across the country there were a couple periods of time where my parents did get back together during a period of about six years but there was also times literally months where I didn't get to talk to or write to my dad or anything You know, I was so young, so I would need my mom's help to mail the letter and all that. And and long-distance calls cost a fortune at that time. 
So, you know, eventually as I got older, I was able to, to write more letters and send them out. And we did have a wonderful letter writing career between the, the two of us. And we'd always end up with the, the letters ending with the joke. That was kind of our thing. When he passed away and we were cleaning out things in his house and, and such, I found an entire drawer that was devoted to my letters and, and from my brother and I, cards, letters. And seeing my, my sort of little eight-year-old girl in print sort of made me feel pretty melancholy, but it also felt really good that he had saved all those. According to my favorite aunt, the day I was born was was life-changing for my dad. And she says we absolutely adored each other from the moment I came into this world. And, you know, when I look at pictures during those early years, I can see the deep love between us. It's very clear. And I remember how much I adored my dad. He was so funny and loving and just, oh, he could make me laugh like nobody else. I can still hear his laugh. And I've got a similar laugh to him. It's the really loud laugh. And then it goes into that sort of breathless, you know, like just where you can't catch your breath and you're just kind of, I don't know, almost like coughing. When I finally got to live with my dad full time, this was in the 70s. You know, I was 13 years old. And it was very rare back then for a father to have custody of his kids. It was almost unheard of. My brother joined us a year later, and it was a crazy time with him trying to sort of adapt to his new life, trying to raise two young kids full-time, us trying to adapt to his parenting style. You know, he'd spent the majority of his life as a bachelor when he wasn't with my mom. And, you know, I was a lost soul at that age. I was drinking, smoking pot, hanging out with a really rough crowd and, and running away from home. A lot of the kids would call me Little Orphan Annie and I would get really upset saying, no, I'm not an orphan, I have my dad. And man, did we have fights, big fights. We were both very passionate about our beliefs. Sometimes he wouldn't talk to me for days and it just sort of became known as the silent treatment. He told me later, you know, as I got older, that he did it because he was afraid that he would say something he'd regret. And he knew that he had a wicked temper and he was worried it would get him in trouble. Sometimes he'd throw things at me when he'd get mad, you know, plates of food, an orange, and I'd dodge the plate of food and it would hit the wall. So, I mean, I knew he had a wicked temper, but, you know, I guess I just had a lot of trouble with the silent treatment. That was harder for me sometimes than if he'd just yell and throw things at me. He was super strict and didn't really like me out of his sight. It was probably a good thing that I had an early curfew because I did manage to get in enough trouble before nine or 10 at night. You know, somehow he stuck with it and he found a way to help me find myself. And through his actions, he made me feel loved and accepted for exactly who I was. He made me realize I could do and be better. And by grade 10, I was doing a lot better. Better in school. I'd given up the rough crowd. I was still drinking, but not as much. I'd given up pot. You know, still like to party with my friends and that. But I was in grade 10 and I started to do better in school. Joined the drama club. I was working part-time. 
and had my first serious boyfriend. And just by being who he was, he managed to find a way to make it work. You know, it was so unconventional, but it turned out to be exactly what this troubled, damaged little girl needed to find her way. You know, I kind of believe the legacy that we leave behind isn't just what we've done in the world, but how we've made others feel, how we've impacted others through our life. My dad, while crotchety and extremely argumentative at times, (laughs) my friends used to call him lovingly the old git, but he could make a friend anywhere. And just like me, he was always looking for that connection and that intelligent conversation. He led a full, colorful life. He loved and mentored the, the younger generation through the soccer team that he owned and through all the coaching that he did. You know, he was the guy with the, the uh, cigar, the stogie out on the field, getting the yellow cards and the red cards for, for fighting with the refs. But his players loved him passionately. They just loved him. He always felt sort of that people his age were, were old people. And he gravitated towards that youth and energy, just like I do. And he always left everybody laughing. He spoke with such an unfiltered honesty, but no real malice. I have to say that dear man taught me more than I can even describe. But for sure the things I can say is that he taught me the value of showing your love by actions, not just words. That I could achieve whatever I wanted to. That I was really my only barrier. You know, that challenges were to be overcome. Not to stop us. But just to find a way to navigate around. He had all these funny little credos like, Never quit a job until you have another one. And I would say to him, Oh, did you always live by that, Dad? And he would kind of cough and say, Well, no. And things like all bad drivers are old men in hats. And guess who got old and wore a hat while he was driving? He taught me to always be myself, no matter what other people thought. That humor is the cure for almost every challenge and every situation. And that sometimes the things we miss the most are the simple things, like the phone calls, where he would start out with, You know what pisses me off, Trace? And he would rant and rave about world events and all the things that were bothering him. Probably a good thing he didn't really know much about social media because I can just imagine the kinds of things he would have been posting and ranting about and the arguments he would have got into online. But most of all, he taught me that a father can quietly love you and be so proud of you and not necessarily tell you all the time but that he would tell other people, anyone who would listen. He made the best of the worst situations and he displayed true perseverance through many, many life and health challenges, whether it was being in the war, poverty, living through depression, moving to Canada with 40 bucks in his pocket and a raincoat, and the raincoat getting stolen at the Toronto airport, and starting out here in Canada with doing a job digging pools, even though he had an education in engineering. But he did what he needed to do to survive. 
And most of all, he taught me that you can live your best life your own way to the beat of your own drum. I miss that old git. Thank you for letting me honor my dad, one of the most special people in my life. If you've lost a loved one recently, I hope, like for me, that the special memories will help ease your pain. And I can tell you that love, time and love, the memories of the love, will help you heal. And the love and support of your family and friends, you know what, hang on to that because that's what will get you through. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Or you can find me on any of the other apps, Google Play, Spotify, Anchor, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again for being here. Bye-bye. Thank you.